Good morning, Third Street. Oh, some of y'all didn't know I was talking to you. Good morning, Third Street. Hey, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at Third Street Community Church. And today, it is my distinct honor and my privilege to do one of my favorite things in the world to do. One of the things that I'm blessed in this life to get to do, and that is bring forth the word of God uh, for your information and your inspiration. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we have been going through this series called Psalms in the Key of Life. Now, some of you who maybe have walked a different path in life, uh, you recognize this album from something different, right? You recognize this cover. You're like, wait a second. Wait a second. This isn't the original artwork, right? I know JD is brilliant, but he's not, he's not just copying old things, is he? No, this is uh, taken from an album, one of the greatest sonic uh, albums that has ever blessed our eardrums by the great Stevie Wonder called Songs in the Key of Life. This album for Stevie was his emancipation as an artist, right? It was his first album that he produced and put out there with total creative freedom. This was his album that told his life story the way that he wanted it to be told. Similarly, as we look at scripture, we look at the book of Psalms. This is the story of the people of Israel. This is the story of David. This is the story of other psalmists, the way that God would want them to be told. It's full of emotion. It's full of realness. It's full of difficult things to grapple with. But as with the album that Stevie put together, God has put together a collection of Psalms that offers hope and instruction, even in the midst of life's craziest circumstances. And so this morning, I direct your attention to the scriptures. If you have your physical Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to the book of Psalms. This morning, I want you to just open the very title page as we are going to be in Psalm 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you, don't worry. I'm not going to put you in a position where you have to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, and or whatever thing I don't know about yet because the scripture is going to be right up here on the screen for you. This is Psalm 1, verse 1. This is how the album of the Psalms begins. Psalm says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight or her delight is in the Lord's instruction and they meditate on it day and night. He or she is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear, that bear its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked, though, they're not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. In 1979, there was a young man from Michigan who was rapidly becoming one of the uh, biggest stars and most household names most specifically and especially as it pertains to the game of basketball. Most people who saw him play, most people who heard his name, couldn't speak of him without using the word magic. Magic Johnson was drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers and overnight became a sensation, naturally, we know how the world works. Whenever somebody is becoming a big star, endorsement deals come knocking. And Magic was no exception. Magic had a decision to make. What did he want his brand to be? What did he want 
to put his name on. There were two major offers he had sitting on the table that most especially would pertain to the shoes that he would wear in the games that he played. I don't know if you guys know this. If you don't, let me catch you up. Shoes are a big deal. There was a company that at the time was big. It ran everything. It was a really big deal, and all the biggest stars would wear this shoe. This company was called Converse. Converse came knocking on Magic's door, and they offered him $100,000 to sign. Now, stop, young people. Let me remind you, this was 1979. That was a lot of money. That's still a lot of money. But it was like a lot back then, right? So they offer him $100,000 in cash to sign an exclusive endorsement deal with Converse. Magic is pretty, is pretty inclined to take this deal because it would have been, first of all, it was bigger than his salary at the time, which, again, remember, this was 1979. The NBA wasn't then what it is now. And also because this would have been the biggest endorsement deal anyone at that point in time had signed. $100,000 in cash. But there was another competitor, uh, a label that wasn't as well known, a label that today is a household name. But back then, nobody outside of a really niche market had heard of a company called Nike. Nike came to Magic. Phil Knight, to be specific, came to Magic, and Magic said, Converse is prepared to offer me $100,000 cash. What are you prepared to offer me? Phil Knight looks at Magic Johnson. He said, I'm not going to lie to you, brother. I don't have $100,000. Imagine that. Nike didn't have $100,000. It's funny as heck. I see eight pairs of Nike in my immediate proximity. It's hilarious. <laughs> He said, I don't have $100,000 cash to offer you. What I can offer you is $100,000 worth of stock, an investment. I can give you $100,000 of stock in our company. Magic scoffed. $100,000 in stock? (laughs) No, thank you. I want to be rich, and I want to be rich now. I don't want to be rich based on the potential of your company. I want to be rich because I'm good right now. And so Magic took the money and ran in his Chuck Taylors. In case you're wondering, Magic appeared on a recent documentary to discuss how much that $100,000 in stock of Nike in 1979 will be worth today. $5 billion. Bad advice can feel so good in the moment. Bad advice can hit right when what you're looking for is immediate pleasure. Bad advice may not seem disruptive or destructive at first, but in the long haul, bad advice can be catastrophic. Whereas walking down the right path, sometimes the more difficult path, the path that takes a little more vision, the path that takes a little more foresight, the path that takes a little more patience, the path that might be most definitely is the path less traveled, that path can lead to an abundance. Psalm 1 starts with this idea that all of us are looking for. It says, how happy is the one? Some translations have it, have it blessed. How blessed is the one? But this isn't really meant to communicate a spiritual condition. It really is meant to communicate the internal joys that one experiences. It says, how happy is the one, right? Blessed is the one. And isn't that ultimately what all of us want? Just want to be happy, man. It says how, how, how happy is the one. And then it says that 
it gives specific instruction of what not to follow in order to be happy, in order to be blessed. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Now, I fear that the dangers of casual reading right here would cause us to miss some really, really key things in this first verse. See, the first verse, if you, if you take a really close look, you notice that the verbiage escalates as we go. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Then it says, how happy is the one who does not even stand in the pathway of sinners. Then it says, how happy is the one who doesn't even sit in the company of mockers. It escalates from walking with to standing with to full on sitting. I'm here. I'm a part of with. It goes from the wicked to the outright sinner to the downright mocker. It escalates because the reality is this is what we do. We decide to take a little walk in some ideas, ungodly ideas that might be in our hearts. It starts innocent enough. We see a crowd going a certain way and we assume when we see a crowd going a certain way, we assume what? It must be something going on. I'm going to go that way too. But what we don't realize is that the crowd has ungodliness in their hearts. They are not led by the shepherd that we claim to be led by. When we see a crowd going one way, it might start off casual by just joining in, but eventually it's going to arrive at its destination and we will find ourselves standing in the situation. And by the time we are standing in the situation, it has escalated to full-blown sinfulness. Well, I was just along for the ride, but now the car has parked and I'm sitting here and I am now an accomplice. And it escalates from there to your standing as a part of the crowd of sinners, as a part of the pathway of sinners, to now you're sitting at their table, which you got to understand the, the heritage, right? Oh, you probably do. We all went through school. Remember lunch tables? Where you sat said everything about you socially. What this text is saying is not that different at all. Actually, it's saying that you are now full-blown sitting with, you are associating with, you are a part of not just sinners, but mockers, meaning these people are so settled in their sinfulness that they actually scoff and laugh at the godly alternative. You see how it escalates? The psalmist is saying, if you so much as walk with the wicked, don't you dare be surprised and hit me with the six-year-old, I didn't know, when you realize that suddenly you're standing in the pathway of sinners. And as you're standing in the pathway of sinners, don't be shocked when you catch yourself taking a full-blown seat and accepting the ways and becoming a mocker. Because at this point, I've chosen to sit here. At this point, I've chosen my seat. And so anyone else who goes around me who doesn't also take this seat, <laughs> you must not know what I know. Don't be surprised when you even flirt with the idea of wickedness when you catch yourself sitting at the lunch table of the delinquents. Which for, for free, that's where I sat. We all got to pass. Leave me alone. Psalm 1 describes this natural walking pattern. It likens it to the chaff. Now, this is Canton. I don't know where y'all grew up, but most people who have chosen to live around here, as my family has, we're not, we're not raising our kids in an agrarian culture, Right? We're not raising our kids in, 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 in farming, right? So we might not know what, it, what the chaff is likened to. 
See, the chaff was something that when you would walk out into the, to the wheat fields, those who were trying to, to, to harvest the, the grain, the nutrient that was inside of the plant, the way that they would get it out is they would go through and they would cut down the wheat. They would stomp and crush the plant. And then what they would do is they would throw what had been crushed up into the wind because what was thrown into the wind would be the light stuff, the useless stuff, the weightless stuff, the stuff with no substance would be blown away. It would be carried away with the wind. But what would fall back to the ground was only the nutrient. It was only the substance. It was only the stuff that you actually needed. This text tells us that following the pathway of the wicked is like being the chaff. You have no weight. It's pointless. It has no, it has no nutrients for you. And ultimately it's going to blow with the wind. In other words, if you don't like the direction that wickedness is going, just wait a second because culture is about to shift it in like eight seconds, right? There have been eight new trends started since I started this sermon. I'm sorry that this is not as short as your TikTok, but that's just the way that culture blows. But what he says is happy is the one that doesn't get blown by the wind. Happy is the one that doesn't just go with whatever wave is coming across the air at that time. Happy is the one that doesn't get caught up in all the useless stuff, that doesn't get caught up in all the wasteless stuff, that doesn't look for their nutrients in the chaff. Happy is the one that waits on the grain that falls down to the ground to be substance. Because when you go to the farmer that has sent you out into the field and you come back with a basket full of something, the only thing that the farmer is going to approve of is the basket full of the nutrient, not a basket full of chaff. In other words, all of our wicked or sinful or meaningless accomplishments do not hold up to judgment when that day comes. We might be adding to our resumes in certain ways, but ultimately that's not the condition that God is looking at when he judges. Now, let me bring you back just a little bit because I can see it in your eyes. You're already like, dang, pastor. You really tapping into those Baptist roots, beating me up about being a sinner. Listen, let me bring you back for a second. All right. It's not bad to want to be happy. Can I tell you that? Have you ever heard that before? Sure. Somebody on TikTok told you that. It's not bad to want to be happy. It's not wrong to want to be blessed. Right. What's bad or what's wrong, according to Psalm 1, is looking for happiness or a blessed condition in the way that the world tells you to find it, right? Let me get really specific and really rack up some angry Monday morning emails, okay? It's not bad to want to be in a relationship. It's not bad to want to have somebody to live life with, to cuddle up with at the end of the day, to binge watch seasons and to have as a A1 from day one support on life's journey. That's not bad. What's bad is when we start to look for said company or said relationship, the ways that the world tells you to find it. What's bad is when we get so desperate for this, for this company that we begin to sacrifice or lay down standards that we believe in in order to have what we're looking for. What's bad is when we put ourselves in a position to lay down at night with someone we found in a way that God didn't direct us to, to do things that God did not lay out as acceptable in scripture. It's not bad to want a relationship. It's bad to put yourself in situations where you're looking for the chaff. 
and not for the nutrients. Now, I don't need to poll the audience. I know you know where to find the chaff. They're in your DMs right now. They're... I should leave it alone. I should leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. You know where to find the chaff. It's not bad to want to provide. It's not bad to want to be secure financially. It's not bad to want to monetarily bless the community that's around you. That's not bad. As a matter of fact, I would even submit to you that it's New Testament biblical in, be, in terms of being a good steward. That's not bad. What's bad is when we go about looking and obtaining provision the way that the world tells us to obtain it. What's bad is when we put ourselves in situations where we lay down and we sacrifice the things that God tells us are more important in order, in order to make a couple extra dollars. I don't know about you. I'm going to speak to myself right now. I, I, what's not bad is to want to provide and to want more for your kids than, 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 than the generations around you have, ha- have had. What's bad is to not be there for your kids. What's bad is to forget where your spouse is at. What's bad is to not pay attention to your first ministry that God has given you in order to take a couple more contracts, right? What's bad is to pack your schedule so busy because you got to earn this paper boo-boo that you entirely forget about your personal devotion to God. It's not bad to want to provide. It's bad to take so many avenues, so many revenue streams that it completely takes you away from the way that the Lord has prioritized and structured your heart and your ministry. It's not bad to want to have influence. It's not bad to want to be able to walk in a space, see what God would do with it, and have the sway, have the pull, have the say, have the huh, to be able to make a difference towards godliness in that space. That's not bad. What's bad is when we go about obtaining said influence, via the platforms that the world gives us. What's bad is that we feel like in order to have influence, we have to build a social media following. What's bad is we feel like we got to have all of these credentials and letters before and after our name before we even get to speak. And I understand the very real barriers that are there, but the reality is that all of us have influence. All of us have a presence that makes a difference. And perhaps the platform by which God would have you build it is in the spaces, the places, and in the very relationships that He has already given you. Don't worry about what's coming. Don't worry about all the places and spaces you want to go. Worry first about what God has put right in front of you. Because can I tell you something? If you don't be a good steward, if you don't take seriously the influence you have on the people that God has in your life right now, he ain't bringing more. You feel me? So let me ask you, church, if the ways of the world are useless and the ways of the world will not stand up to judgment, what's the path you've been on that it's time to rethink? What's that, what's that wicked walk you've been toying with that perhaps before it gets too far, we're ready to stop, have an aha moment as Luke 15 says, come to ourselves and turn around. I know, I know, I know. Here you go. I can, I can hear your minds right now. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand, man. You don't get what it's like to be in this space. You don't know what it's, you don't know, you don't know how we, how we got to move and how we got to live. And you don't, you don't, stop. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God wants you to be blessed? Yes. 
Do you believe that God wants you to be happy? No, stop playing with me. Do you actually believe that? Because if you believe that, then your theology should encourage your heart to remember that God has something better for you. Even if you look around right now and you're like, I don't know, I'm pretty good. I'll, I'll tag my Instagram post today, blessed. He still has something better for you. That's just who God is. When you take this all the way back to the beginning, let's not forget that in Genesis 1.21, 128, excuse me, God created Adam and Eve to be blessed. God created them with a condition of blessed. They were happy. God, oh man, God, it's because there's no water, man, I need some water. God created them to exist in happiness, in harmony, and to be doing the beautiful, perfect, well-aligned work of the God who created them. They were happy. They were blessed. They were given the whole garden. All of God's creation, God said, is yours. Cultivate this. Let's not forget that God did not take away Adam and Eve's blessed condition. Adam and Eve chose to turn it in. They chose to give it up in favor of what was temporary in front of them. They chose to lay down their blessed condition to explore a fruit that God said, don't even worry about it. And I feel like we read that passage and we're like, we're like, well, God told him, like, you can't do this. Right. And because of because of our own upbringings, we read into that, that this was like hard and strict. The reality was God was looking out for their blessed condition. And he was saying, don't even worry about that. That's not even for you. That doesn't even matter. That's probably not even going to that's probably just going to blow away. That's probably not even going to hold up at judgment day. Don't you even worry about that. But they were so concerned about possibly tasting this fruit that they laid down their blessed condition to accept a different one. And ever since then, it has been God's intention. It has been God's mission to redeem you and me as a result. God has been on a rampage God has been aligning things since Genesis 3 for you and for me in order to redeem us. You don't believe me? Bet. Look at Jesus. It's Mother's Day, so I apologize for the, for the morbid analogy, but is any of you mothers, as irritating as your kids are, is any of you willing to sacrifice one of your children? Just groans in silence? Okay. I'm going to take that as a no. God has been so after our redemption that he sent what was nearest and dearest to him into the very world that he knew would destroy him. Why? So that you and me may proclaim a name that is above all other temporal things we could even look at and be created new, be given a pathway that is narrow, but it leads to life. Still don't believe me. Okay, it's a tough crowd. Look at the promise that Jesus leaves as he ascends into heaven that we will receive power by the means of a spirit. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks, but by means of a spirit who will be our advocate, who will be our helper, who will be our, our wisdom and God's very presence within us. He promises us the Holy Spirit so that way we don't get to the fork in the road, one or two options, and think, what did God say again? 
He gave us his very presence so that where we go, he also goes. So that it wouldn't be limited to one time. So that it wouldn't be limited to one space. So that it wouldn't be limited to one heritage. God had every right to continue this down a royal bloodline, but he didn't. Because he wanted to be inclusive of you and also of me. Still don't believe me? Let me give you just one more. Look at the very text we're reading this morning. Look at the inspired scriptures. God thought it was so important, and he knew the cultures and traditions of the time, and he knew that if he left it up to them, they would just keep, they would just keep passing it down through word of mouth. They would just keep telling their kids who would grow up to tell their kids, who would grow up to tell their kids. But you ever played telephone? God know how inefficient that system was. And so he was like, you know what? It's really important that my children are able to see how plain I'm saying it to you. It's really important that you make it plain that they, that the generations have instruction for all time. And so, and so I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. I want you to record it. I want you to make it plain so that all people in all time have access to the very things that I specifically, not somebody through me, not somebody for me, but I specifically instructed. And it is God's expectation that it is in those things, in Jesus, in the presence of his spirit, in the scriptures that we find our delight and meditation. He says, concentrate on these things. I've given you so many, so many options. Concentrate on these things. And the text says that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. It says you will be like that tree that never has to worry, is somebody else going to come along and fertilize my growth? You're going to be like that tree that never has to worry, is anybody going to bring me the nutrients that I need? You're never going to be like that tree that has to feel so desolate and so alone and so deserted that you just give up and you wither away and die. You are like a tree that is connected to a stream. Can I hearken back to last week? You are a tree that is founded, that is rooted in living water that will never go without nourishment, that will never go without sustenance, that will never go without productivity. And you will be so grown and so rooted that the fruit that you bear, the very things that come from the way that you live your life will be so much more beautiful and so much more abundant that you can't even imagine God promises in this psalm life, productivity, fruitfulness, health. And I hope, I hope that you've hung with me long enough to be wondering in your head this morning, this morning, pastor, how do I tap in? How do I get that? You lost me for a while. You started making all these references. I didn't know something about something else, but, but you brought me back when you said life and productivity and fruitfulness and health. How did you know those are the affirmations I wrote on my mirror this morning? Listen, I'm trying to tell you how to tap in. The inspired scriptures is God's advice. The inspired scriptures is God's intended way of living. The inspired scriptures is God's instruction. We keep looking around. We keep looking for advice. We keep looking for a way to go. We keep looking and reading. What does this person have to say? What does this video want? What, is, what, what about this situation? When, when all along we have been given the instruction. God wants us to be rooted in these instructions so deeply that it becomes second nature. Those of us who, those of you who know me really well, you know that second nature to me is like movie quotes. Specifically, if the movie was made in the late 90s or early 2000s, I've seen them all. And it is just natural to me that in conversation, somebody will say something, it'll trigger a line from a movie and I'll say it with a quote and the real ones will quote me back. Those are my real friends, the ones who just pick up on the reference and we just keep it going, right? I can do that for hours. There are whole movies that you don't even need to watch. I got it for you. God wants his words to be that second nature to us, that when a situation arises, 
It's not Napoleon Dynamite's voice that's popping up for the millionth time. That was a movie in the early 2000s for some of y'all. <laughs> but it's the voice of the Holy Spirit that appears multiple times in the scriptures that is speaking right to you today in this very circumstance. I was at a wedding not that long ago, a couple months ago, and, you know, weddings are tough for me. I can never decide what kind of mood I'm in and whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm going to get happy on the dance floor or not. Because these days I just don't be having the energy that I used to have. You feel me, KT? Like, it's just tough to know. And so I'm sitting with a group of friends. We're sitting at a table, and some of them are getting out on the dance floor, and some of them are sitting. And I look at one of my friends who I think I'm, I'm, I've, I see a lot of myself in them, and I, and I, and I asked her, I said, um, I said, I said, you going to dance? She's like, no. I was like, what song? Because I like to turn everything into a game. I'm like, what song would it take? Like, what song would come on that if it came on, you'd be like, ah, bet, and you'd be out there? And she's like, nothing. Then almost as if, as if God himself were the DJ. He was not. But almost as if he was. All of a sudden you hear, it's a whole lot of money. And the entire table, her included, stand up. Ah, it's a party, it's a party, it's a party, hey. And we all out on the dance floor. That was a song, but you know what, never mind. I'm not (laughs) done with y'all today. God wants us to be so rooted And so focused on his presence and on his scripture that it inspires our actions and takes us to another place like some songs do. You know, the songs that can just get you up, that just you just can't help it. They just get you out there. God wants you to know his word so well that when you read it, you just can't help it. You just get up and you get out there. And it changes your entire mood. It changes your entire behavior. Your day is going differently and people are looking at you strange because you were inspired by his presence and by his scripture. I see it all the time. People ask me, what do I do in this situation? Pastor, what about this, right? I see the things we repost. I see the places we look for advice and for guidance. And I also see the fruit that that bears in our lives. It doesn't take long for the advice from the world, for the advice from empty places to show itself to be chaff. The Lord wants us to be so rooted, so in tune with his scripture, that when we need a place to run, It's our connection with him that we go to. He wants us to be so connected to his word that when we're like, I just don't know what to do. I don't even know what way is up anymore. I don't even know how to face the rest of today, let alone get to the other side of tomorrow. He wants the words and instruction that he inspired to be written to be the place that we look. We're so worried about everyone else around us, what they're doing, what they think. Or we're so worried about who's going to save them. Are we doing the right thing? Do we have the right approach? Are Are we doing this? Are we doing that? We're so worried about all the stuff around you. But can I tell you lesson one of leadership? It's that you cannot give what you do not possess. Go ahead. Go save them. What you going to save them with? What do you have to give the broken? When you haven't come and looked for redemption yourselves. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. God uses you. God uses me. God uses it all. Right? But In order for us to be on the path, we've got to find our behavior, our righteousness in his words, 
not in the advice of other people, not even myself. Can I tell you for free, just save you a little bit of time, what I'm going to tell you when you come to me for advice? I'm going to ask you, first thing I'm going to ask you, I don't care if you if you tall, short, man, woman, I don't care. I'm asking the same thing every time. Have you talked to God about this? What has the Holy Spirit been laying on your heart about this? I can help you discern, but please don't ask me to speak for God. God is going to tell you what he's been telling you for thousands of years. He wants his presence and his words to be the place that we turn. And then here's what's toughest, I think, about this passage as we close. Is it lays it out very plain in the very last verse. It says, look, it's two paths. Well, really, back then it was two, but today it could be more like it's two. It's two. It's two of them. A, B, one, two. Red, blue. Ain't no yellow. Ain't no, nuh-uh. It's two paths. He's like, I'm going to make this as plain as I can make it. You're going to go on to read a hundred and something psalms from here. You got a whole lot of stuff to download, but let me start from the jump and just make it as plain as I can. It's two paths. Path number one is the way of the righteous. He says, you choose this path, which to you and me is offered through the person of Jesus. You choose this path. And the encouragement for you is that the Lord knows the way. That even when we're confused, even when we don't see it, even when we don't have the vision for it or the energy to do it, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. In other words, he's the GPS. You can plug it in and he would have it that you don't even worry about it the rest of the way. Don't backseat driver the Lord. He would have it that he would guide your way to where he is trying to take you because where he is trying to take you is a life full of life. A life that is, what did verse 1 say? Happy. That is satisfied. That is fulfilled. God wants more for you than you even know how to ask of him. And he would have it that he would guide your way. He is working all things out. You stay on this path, it's not guaranteed that there aren't turns. You stay on this path, it's not guaranteed that there aren't high moments and low moments. You stay on this path and it's not guaranteed that there aren't barriers or things in your path or, or hazards or natural disasters. That's not guaranteed, but what's guaranteed is that he gets you through. It's not guaranteed that we don't trip along the way, but what's guaranteed is that he guarantees that you get up and walk again. This is the path that he has for you. And there is another path. I told you it's two. It says it's the way of the wicked. But the way of the wicked leads to what? To ruin. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. It might not start on your walk. You might even still be feeling good as you still stand in. But eventually that buzz is going to go away. That high is going to wear off. That thrill of the, and the adrenaline and the dopamine is going to go away. And you're going to be left sitting in a dark place that seems even more hopeless as when you began this path in the first place. Oh, Pastor, this is so Old Testament of you. Can we just get back to talking about Jesus? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Oh, it's a gate. Yeah, but it's small. It ain't for you and all your stuff. It's for you. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to heaven? No, destruction. And there are many who go through it. Jesus says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And then he ends with the encouragement of all encouragements and he says, few find it. Church, what is the path that you truly want to be on? Because there is a right answer. Both roads have their difficulty. Both roads have trial 
as our character gets tested and refined. Both roads will give you highs and lows. But one road ends in a furnace. One road ends in your destruction. That seems so dramatic. One road ends in your hopelessness, your darkness, everything falling apart and even worse. The other road is hard, is difficult, is narrow, not a lot of room for margin. But that's the road that leads to your life. That's the road that leads to new creation. One heat applied is a furnace that destructs you. The other one refines you. You come out better. You come out looking more like Jesus, more precious than when you even went in. Refinement, new life, happiness, joy. Can I be real specific to your condition? Peace is what you find on the other path. Well, pastor, they both got lions and tigers and bears, so I might as well, yeah. But one of the paths, you will find yourself having this supernatural condition of peace and happiness in the midst of the chaos of this world that leads to an investment that pays off more than we can even see today in 1979. The other one is chaff. It's going to blow away. It's going to change, and it ain't going to take you with it. It's going to lead to your demise. I want you to be conscious of what this life costs and what it is that we're inviting you to. Now, fortunately, as a community, as a congregation, we have ways of surrounding those of us who have decided to be on the path to life. You don't have to do this thing alone. Thank God. In a moment, there's going to be, actually right now, there's going to be people from the prayer team who are going to move themselves around the room in the back and on the sides and make themselves available to you. When you feel like you don't know how to go to God, Pastor, that sounds great. Go to the scriptures. I don't know what I'm reading. Sounds great. Go to his presence. I don't know where it's at. There are people who are available right now for you. You get to go to them. Now, I know sometimes some of you are like me. I'm an extrovert. I like to talk things out a little bit, right? I don't like to be all up in my head. When I get in my head, it goes to scary places. I like to talk things out with people. Well, isn't it lucky for you that as a community, we have spaces where you get to live life alongside of people? We call these things huddle. They're about to take a break for a while, but we got other ways of surrounding you as a community and that you can get in full-fledged by the fall. I'm telling you that you don't have to do this alone, that there are, that there are nearly 200 people that every week gather in somebody living room and are very willing, some of y'all too willing, to invite new friends to come in and to be a part of living life together. And some of y'all are like, okay, fine. So I know where to go find his presence. These people are going to help me find his presence. I know I can walk alongside and you're going to take me there. But pastor, this scripture is really tricky. I still don't know how. Well, (laughs) isn't it lucky for you That coming up as huddles take a break, we have these things called summer studies where we're going to go deeper into a whole lot of things. I hear a lot of you, Pastor, my marriage is a wreck. I hear you. There's going to be a whole summer study that just focuses on the godliness in the middle of your marriage. There's some of you that are like, I just don't even know what the heck I'm reading as I turn these pages. I hear you. There's a there's a 100 level uh, uh, Bible offering that is going to be just for you. Some of you are like, there's really tough concepts. How do I know if I'm saved? Well, I'm really glad that you asked, right? That there is going to be a whole session for you to figure out the tenets of your salvation that God offers you. I could go on and on and you don't want me to because this was, you know, this isn't announcement time. But what I'm trying to encourage you with is that even though the path is narrow, even though the path is more difficult, even though all of these things sound hard and yeah, it leads to life, but pastor getting there, you don't have to do it alone. You got a whole community that's here to surround you. And we want to invite you to be a part of it. If you have never received the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have never Offer, if you have never been offered or accepted a path that is an alternative to the hopeless path that you've been on, that I want you to take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you today. And for the rest of us, I want you to take a survey, do an honest self-assessment of yourself. 
and check yourself on where you've been on some of these past. What's, what's the walk that you gotta, that you gotta leave alone? What's the associations that need to be clipped? What's the way of living that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to radically change? Let's not leave this morning without taking advantage of the moment God is creating for us right now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way thank you that through your son Jesus you offer us a path to be created new. We thank you that through your Holy Spirit that new, that truths age old truths can be revealed to us in new and relevant ways right where we sit to our present condition. We thank you for the assistance and for the wisdom and for the peace that your spirit brings to our lives. God, we thank you that you thought so much of us, the generations that would come later, that you saw fit for the, for the apostles and for the, for the scribes to write down your works for us so that we don't got to pay $19.99 on Amazon to know best practices, but that we have, we have a scroll, or we have a book, we have scriptures to turn to in all of time for all situations to know what you are speaking, what you are saying. We thank you for these things. And God, we just so desperately want to be a part of the life, the riches, the promise, the blessed condition that you promise. And so God, would you help us along that path today? God, give us the perspective and the wisdom we need to realize where we've started to flirt or go astray. Lord, give us the, the courage to admit and, and come to ourselves about what's really been going on. Lord, I pray for the, for the strength and the boldness to go to you, to say that we want to be welcomed back. God, we thank you that you welcome us back. Lord, we pray for the patience and to be surrounded, not just by your presence, but by other people who just want to experience your presence to walk this out with us. So that as we're along this narrow way, we got people that, are ha that have our backs, that are people that are further down the path, people that are right next to us, making sure that even when we stumble, as you have said, you will guarantee that we walk again. Lord, I pray that you would give us the direction, that we would be disciplined and confident to see it because we know that the way that you provide delivers us from temptation and from evil. Pray these things. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, bless up.